1: Let's get this dinner party started. This
2: is the Best Hang Podcast featuring Max Kerman, Shane Cunningham, and I am Mike Bierman.
3: Here's a secret.
2: Welcome to the Best Hang Podcast. We have Max Kerman, Shane Cunningham, and I am Mike Thierman. Guys, what is going on? Lots has happened. We have a Super Bowl in the not-too-distant past that our very own Max Kerman attended. He hung out with celebrities. I'm sure we're going to hear all about that. Shaney, things are rolling with the sketch show. Lots is going on in our life, but this is the first episode of the Best Hang that doesn't feature a guest. So listeners, what you got is what we originally started doing with this podcast, and that's the three of us hanging out. How's it going, fellas? Maxie, we'll start with you.
3: I'm feeling pretty good. It's it's uh, nice to be back in Canada. Um, you know, it's, it, people in LA do this thing where they they pretend they're envious of snow and cold. They're like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" I was like, hey, "Listen, up up where I'm, I'm right now, it's like you can't you can only walk in single file on the on the sidewalk because there's mm. just snow banks. It's terrible." And they're like. Dude, I would kill for that. You know, right here, it's just like 70 and sunny every day. You get tired of it. Like, I would kill to be wearing a winter jacket. That's insulting. I know. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you, like, you're lying to me right now. Do you think or do you think they're telling the truth? I think they
2: think they're telling the truth. They I think, think they don't tell- want this. I don't think they want. They don't want this. They think they want this. And then once <laughs> yeah. you're living in it for like four months straight, you don't want none of this. But I can see the allure of, you see in movies, New York looks beautiful with the snowfall. Toronto yeah. is very gorgeous at times to look at, but to live in and sort of try and, um, you know, execute your life and your lifestyle, it ain't the best. Shaney, do yeah. you think they're telling the truth?
0: Yeah. You know, grass is always greener. That whole thing at play. Snow is always whiter in the other country <laughs> or
2: I guess on the on the other coast. There you go. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um so what else so max what else i mean obviously you were uh, you know you spent the, the weekend in los angeles you went to the super bowl mm-hmm. uh were you sort of um could you not help but compare your halftime show to the uh dr dre snoop Dogg, eminem 50 cent uh <laughs> The halftime show.
3: I, I won't lie. A, a few people did text me, including Nick Nurse, right after saying your ha- your halftime show is way better. So when yeah. I got those texts, I did feel good, even though most people are probably lying to me or a little delusional about it. <laughs> probably
0: lying. <laughs> Max, That was the best halftime show ever. Like that made Which, that was the best that would make any other halftime show look bad. No offense to you.
2: I, I'll, I will say just listen, like obviously those songs are bangers and they're a big part of our youth. But just for pure spectacle, if an alien came down from outer space Mm -hmm. and compared Mm -hmm. both halftime shows just based on visually what you're looking at, Mm -hmm. spectacle, things going on nighttime versus sort of like really lit daytime in L.A., I I think that there is an argument to be made that the Arkells <laughs> halftime show was a more visually pleasing spectacle than the NFL halftime show, which relied a lot on context, thank and, you, and 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 hi- history that we have with those songs and those people. That would be my uh, that would be my argument for the Arkells.
0: <laughs> I don't know those aliens. Like I don't know which part of the galaxy they're from, but you have to recognize <laughs> a good melody and a hook, and you could probably feel the history coming out of them like i was getting goosebumps Mm. from that show not that i didn't get goosebumps from your show max (laughs) because it was it was very very good however the goosebumps were a little bit bigger and undeniably bigger for the super bowl show yeah and i think your show was great i did not like the weekend uh super bowl show last year oh you didn't so yours beats the weekend show in my opinion well there's there's a couple things at play here
3: um those songs are so timeless, you know Like if you were to ask me in grade 10 Like who my favorite artist was I might say Dr. Dre or Eminem Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, I love And, you know, the 50 Cent uh, tune was great The Mary J. Blige song was great um, And so, like, I love that music It's at the, like, you know, top 10 favorite songs Like there's a few of them that are in there for sure uh, And so there's actually, there's no denying Just like a hit is a hit is a hit And no matter how hard anybody else tries To perform something musical a hit will always beat the thing that's, like, less popular. So I agree with you there. Um, What I will say, though, is if I want to be critical of of the halftime show, is that the only performer, really, that put in any extra work that, like, didn't have to... Like the rest of them didn't even have to come to sound check to perform that halftime show. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No.
2: So no. Snoop smoked a joint and then walked onto stage. He sang his bit, did a little dance, and people loved it. That's all he has to do, and people love it, mm-hmm. and that, that's his
3: charm. Kendrick Lamar, his performance. Yes. And you could make an argument that that was the least recognizable song, and maybe that's why he had to try extra hard. But there was so much thought and effort put into the choreography, the backup dancers, the set pieces. It was amazing. It was. It was. It was absolutely incredible. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that um, when I think about my favorite uh, like popular performers, like pop, pop culture performers, I put like Beyonce and Bruno Mars sort of at the top of the list because when they execute something, they go hard. Like mm-hmm. every second, uh, there is a high level of attention to detail being put into every little moment.
0: And, um, and that's what I thought Kendrick did. It fit him too, though. And the show mm-hmm. had a structure to it. You're supposed to be lulled a little bit. And then, bam, Kendrick comes out and punches you in the face. And that's what yeah. you want. If Snoop did this highly elaborate choreographed routine, we'd laugh our asses off. Like, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I, I liked it. I gave them bonus points how they didn't have so many people in the crowd. Like, you know how there's just so many people on the field during these halftime shows? They fill it with all these flags and people have signs. And it's just so distracting you could see the extras that they had on the field. And there was only like maybe 40 of them to start the show. Mm-hmm. And then they kept adding more and more people. So that it crescendoed a little bit. So sometimes people think more is more. I think less is more. And then it makes the parts that are amplified more amplified. I don't like it going at a 10 the entire time.
3: Yeah. And, and again, like there is a certain charisma. You know, it's funny. Like I saw Jay-Z and Beyonce do a tour together mm-hmm. a number of years ago and like the Beyonce sections were so incredible you know with all of her dancing and all of, and mm-hmm. her like vocal gymnastics she can do like she's just so impressive and then Jay-Z would come out and do a few songs by himself and he's just sort of standing there but on a certain level I'm like I love Jay-Z I love the sound of his voice I love the way he's rapping I love his charisma I love his presence and you're like even though they're two completely different things and one has a very high level degree of difficulty you can appreciate them for different reasons. So I, I, yeah. I, I get I get that point, Shane.
0: You wanna see Oasis being Oasis and Robin Williams being Robin Williams. You don't wanna see Norm MacDonald choreographed. It's just it's just a thing. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> got a thing and you wanna see them do the thing that they're best at doing. what's my best thing, Shane? <laughs> rocking out man putting on a great show you know being slightly uncool but there's a coolness to it you own that wearing some weird shorts and i don't know like a hat maybe blossom would have worn in the 90s and just owning it you own things max and nothing feels silly that you do
3: Mm, okay i'll I'll take it I think. hey um did you guys know uh here's a piece of music trivia for you Mm -hmm. do you know who wrote still dre the song is still Dre by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg.
0: No. Let me think here. Still Dre. If you look on Wikipedia, by the way, there's a sole singular writer. Was it Jason Mraz? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was Jason Mraz. No, it was uh Jay-Z. Jay-Z wrote the whole thing. Um, huh. yeah. If you look up, uh, quotes about it, like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre were like, yeah, dude just brought it in. He like, channeled it and actually there's an episode of the barbershop is that LeBron James show is that what it's called the, yeah. the shop the barbershop? Yeah. where they're interviewing Jay-Z and he was just talking about it. he's like yeah I read the whole thing it's like a, you know I have a certain reverence for Dre and Snoop Dogg so I was able to sort of like channel their history and their flow and things that they'd be like comfortable with talking about and uh yeah, he did it, so I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Did you notice at the very beginning, Dr. Dre had a problem with his you know, mic pack or his something? Pack. Yeah. yeah. And he was yeah. fidgeting yeah. with that? I was so nervous for him at that yeah. point. Yeah. It's like 10 seconds in, the whole thing's going to go wrong, but it worked out.
2: I also felt like um, a certain degree of tension when 50 was hanging upside down. I felt like it was very... It didn't seem comfortable. I didn't feel like I was watching like a performance where I'm like, oh, yeah, he's in the groove. It felt like it was difficult to sing upside down. And I actually was relieved when he finally got down and he got through the verse. Did you not feel that that looked uncomfortable for him?
0: Yeah, it did. It didn't look like that was his like, you know, when someone's taking a photo of you and you're not feeling like you look your best. I don't (laughs) think I don't know. It felt like he didn't (laughs) want to do that. They just forced him to say like to be upside down. This is my, I literally had the thought where I'm like, when they're in the production meeting
2: and they're like, we want you to hang upside down. Like you did in the video 20 years ago. And then, but it's like, he's a lot older and he's like, that's not really comfortable. And you like, you start to get dizzy when you're upside down for that long. Did he have to wait for like a cue? Did he sort of like come down in a sit-up motion? Like just before he sang, I was thinking about the mechanics of how they did it and how uncomfortable it must've been for him. And like you said, Shane, how they talked him into it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how was it live? Max?
3: Did, did you see the uh, TikTok that kind of went viral about him getting into position? Did you see No.
2: This? Is it actual
3: footage? Yeah, it's actual fan footage. So basically, it's moments before he hits his verse. You just see him sort of slink right into the thing, hoist himself up. He doesn't have any handlers. And he's just like, it's literally within three seconds, he's walking into the frame, hoisting himself up, getting into position, and he's going. It's actually yeah. like, that was actually Whoa. the most amount of coordination of the whole set, I think. So kudos <laughs> to 50. Amazing. Um, what do you think was the uh, the high point, the song that hit the hardest? Ooh. I think, I, you know what? In the, in the arena, I can tell you, the stadium, it was Lose Yourself. It's gotta be. Everybody was singing along to that one. At home, that's the way it felt too. But uh, it was cool. Actually, I had a TikTok that kind of went viral because I was, did you guys see the thing I posted? Um, basically, it was what it takes to get that staging in uh in position for the halftime super bowl show so two million uh, views on my tiktok no big deal but basically it's just <laughs> like i because i was sort of marveling like you know when you see a production have to get ready within they have about what eight minutes or something to like pull off this elaborate thing and get everyone in position so it was, it was very cool to see all like the the set pieces being uh, trucked on on the field it's very very cool
2: the um did you watch the super bowl shane at all like in real time
0: uh yeah, the second half I did. From halftime onwards I watched.
2: I uh it was interesting because um like the Super Bowl's a big deal. People get really into it. They build parties around it, event. It's it's obviously one of the biggest things sort of we have in North America is sort of a singular thing that people get together for. We all watch like this monoculture thing. Um I was putting Winona to bed at like, I don't know what time it was, like 6.37 or something like that. And while I was putting her to bed, I just fell asleep in bed with her. And I woke up at like 9.30. My phone had like 50 texts. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And I see like Max had sent through a photo of him and Will Forte. And he was like, what's the caption for this? And everybody's sort of making <laughs> jokes. And everyone's like, halftime was amazing. And it was like, there's this sort of buzz in conversation. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I just woke up. I was like i like missed everything. I feel like such an out of touch dad that literally just came to the party late. <laughs> and I just text, I just te- responded. Everyone's like, I just woke up. I like, sorry that I didn't respond to anybody. And like, Max is living it up.
0: And so I was wondering, Shane, <laughs> what your experience was like as well. If you had, you and Alex had some drinks and actually did the Super Bowl. No, I was recording a podcast for the first half. So it's kind of out of it then. And then. I got really excited for the halftime show, and it it delivered, in my opinion. I got the goosebumps, and I was on a bit of a high after that. And then, yeah, you know, I was on my phone talking to people about the Will Forte thing. Birchall was sending me messages how, how he was hanging with <laughs> Will Forte. He was saying that he was going to show him the pilot that we did for our sketch show. Apparently, he was in the same car with him. Yeah, yeah. So he was saying, oh, yeah, we're <laughs> I'm leaving the Super Bowl, and we're leaving in the same car, and I'm going to show him the pilot of that moment. So I obviously don't believe that intellectually, but the emotional side of me gets caught up into the what if of it all. And like, what if it does happen, even though I know it's definitely not going to happen. And uh, so that that caught me up a little bit. I wasn't paying attention to the game though. I think LA won though, right? Which has to be exciting.
3: Yeah, LA won. It was, it was amazing. It was so cool. You know, I think back, remember like five years ago, we were reading all these pieces about how the NFL and football is over. There's like, you know, all the mm-hmm. concussion stuff and... Sort of like the, the racism that existed in the league and Roger Goodell's like terrible leadership. Everyone's like, football is done. People aren't going to play football. Viewership is waning a little bit. Fast forward to 2022. It is the only thing that is uniting America right now. Every single person uh, from every corner of the culture, no matter what your race, background, whatever, absolutely loves football. It's never been more popular. Wherever where other sports you know are taking dips in ratings, like including our beloved basketball, football is only improving. And the joy it brought in, at least from being in the stadium, because like even though it was a hometown team playing in the game, the, the Rams were there and they had a lot of fans. There were so many people from Cincinnati that had traveled. There was also just random fans with every jersey on that had just bought tickets to the game that wanted to go, and it was. It was incredible it was like everybody was in such a good mood there, there like I didn't witness any like misbehavior between like rival fans drunkenly getting to fights with each other or anything like everything was like very good natured and again all across the country at home on television Super Bowl parties were being had and you don't have to like football to enjoy the Super Bowl party and I just wonder like is this the only thing we have left is this the literally the only thing we have left that people can agree on?
0: yes. <laughs> yeah, I think so for sure. Definitely. <laughs> but like concussions are still happening in football, right? And that can they, they absolutely are. Yeah. So that that's not good. And then, you know, years later, symptoms can arise in that. And I think some of these football players end up killing their families. So that's not good, right?
3: No, it's not. No, no listen, that's they're...
2: definitely bad. I don't know anything positive about mm-hmm. that. No, so the fans no. don't
0: have to play the game. And I think that's a big appeal of it, too. Like they don't have to experience mm. the concussions or anything.
3: Yeah, that's 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 I guess the trade off mm-hmm. is uh, is the players get to maybe win the Super Bowl and we don't have to deal with any of that.
0: Nachos are the real winner though. All anyone wants to do is have an excuse to eat a plate of food that's not necessarily <laughs> great for you.
3: That 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 is true, but um, yeah. So Shane, um, I I don't think I've really told you about the the Forte Hang. Did it, have I told you anything about it? No,
0: and I don't want to hear about it unless it's outrageously <laughs> good news because all you hear. Like our, I get a bunch of text messages when things are on the precipice of being exciting. Oh, we're talking to Forte about the sketch show. And Max sends through a picture of him holding court in a pool with Will Forte. He's, he's leading a conversation, and the texts are all about how you're talking about the sketch show and how it's going to be great. And, and, and then it's like a, a text of Will Forte texting you. And I know you and you'll just send the sketch show to anybody like you have no conscience about that. Or, you know, you don't really recognize boundaries or anything like that. So I'm thinking this is a good thing. Max is definitely going to awkwardly make Will Forte sit down and watch this on a big screen. Like you'll pull it up on your phone. You'll figure out how to screen mirror it and watch it on a 90 inch television set. While Will Forte is just sitting there for 12 minutes. But the fact that I haven't heard anything after many days have gone by. Doesn't make me feel great right now. Okay, well, the time will come. You didn't. He didn't watch it, did he?
3: No, I haven't sent it to him yet. I haven't sent it to him okay. yet. I can't be that guy who's who's inundating him with like watch watch this watch the show. I don't want to. Do that. And he's on vacation this week.
0: You're always that guy.
3: But I am that guy. You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> but the backstory is that uh, our our good friend Matt Unsworth and our other good friend Tim McAuliffe, who live down in California, they invited me over to a pool party at Tim's house. He has a pool in his backyard. And uh, Tim works with Will Forte on Magruber, Last Man on Earth. Uh, he helped write the Magruber sketches for Saturday Night Live because Will um, hosted the show a couple weeks ago. And we had a lovely afternoon um, <laughs> hanging out in his pool and just chatting. And uh, he couldn't have been sweeter. His wife, uh, super nice. Just Tim's got a great group of friends down there. And um, the, the kind of the kicker was because like you know they don't know me, know me from a hole in the wall. After I left, I guess they just started putting on Arkell's live videos, and they just like watched Arkell's live videos for like the next like half an hour or something like that. So I thought that that, that bode well for not only myself but my group of friends. I was like, okay, great. And it turned out that Will was going to be going to the Super Bowl the next day. I said, okay, let's let's get together. Let's let's have a, a drink at the Super Bowl. So He's like, I'd love that. He seemed like very down and
0: excited just to to hang out. How did you get his phone number? How does that come about?
3: I said, give me your number. I said, give me oh. your number. Let, let's connect to the game. I did, to be honest, I was thinking, is it weird for me to ask for his number? But I'm like, no, he's just a friend of a friend. And I'd ask a friend of a friend for their number anytime. Right. So
0: you got the number before they watched you performing at the Grey Cup or after?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Before. Before?
0: before? <laughs> yeah. Before. Whoa, so I could have theoretically asked him that. You could have. You absolutely could have got it. <laughs> oh. Did he? And he gave it to you before he saw the the video
2: yeah he did max oh. when when you enter the party how does like tim frame you how does he introduce you does he say this is my friend or does he try to exp- does he sort of frame who- like if you were a doctor <laughs> he'd be like oh this is my friend max he's a doctor in toronto how did he frame you when he introduced you to will forte uh
3: no he just sort of um this is my buddy max there's nothing more than that and I was wearing like the hotel slippers cause I didn't want to put on shoes and I was wearing like my, mm-hmm. my swim trunks. So I like, kind of looked ridiculous and I like, showed up in an Uber. Um, but yeah, we, but I think I was like kind of funny and charming right off the bat because the previous night we'd been to a Nickelback concert and I was telling him all about the Nickelback concert that we went to. Um, you know, there was many events happening in LA and, uh, and the nut was in charge of like our party plans basically. And the nut was like, wouldn't it be cool if on Friday night we go to a Nickelback concert for a hundred people? It's only a hundred people. For Nickelback. I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you guys want. So we show up and it turns out it's this private event for like a financial company and Nickelback is performing. And it, it's funny because the clientele is mostly like 60 year old plus white guys. And there's like a hundred of them in the room that are just like down there to like take in the Super Bowl. Um, And so one guy recognizes me because there's a bunch of Canadians in the room, and we're chatting him up, and it's all very like fun. It's like an open bar event. Who walks in? Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley, for some reason, is at this event. He's promoting a book. Is he promoting a book? Is that why he's he's doing the rounds? Yeah. So Charles Oakley is a former New York Knicks player, played on the Raptors. I'm like, oh, how's it going? Big Raptors fan. (laughs) Dude did not even look at me. He was just. Whoa. (laughs) He did not look. Um. And then I'm watching the show and they're playing all their hits. And by the way, you know, say what you want about Nickelback, but you know, like, all of their songs. Like, they played for an hour and you knew every single one of their songs. Chad was being very charming. He was, he hosted Nickelback Karaoke, where he had a couple people on stage to sing their song Rockstar, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was a good mm-hmm. bit. I look over in this corner booth. Who's there? Guy Thierry. Guy Fieri is there rocking out super hard to Nickelback and having the best time ever. And we actually ended up talking to Guy Fieri after the
0: show. If Uh, you had
2: like said, and guess who's in that booth and let me and Shane guess, we could have guessed for the next 2000 years and we wouldn't have got to Guy Fieri. I think no. I
0: actually think that would have been my first guess because that's so on the nose (laughs) that Guy Fieri is at a Nickelback concert. (laughs) I would almost not say it because it's too obvious. Be like, yeah, Guy Fieri, right? Yeah. (laughs)
3: uh but i wanted i do want to give a shout out because the guitarist ryan who's been in the band forever he's actually invited us to uh, participate uh, his wife uh, does a clean water project in sudan uh and i think cameroon they spent a lot of time in africa working on this clean water project and she's been like shot at and she's like right there working every single day and so shout out to, to ryan he's a very very sweet guy um and anyway, so I came into the, the the pool party and I was like telling the story about uh, partying with uh, Nickelback and going to the show. And so I, was, I feel like I was like sort of on my game because I sometimes can get in my own head a little bit, especially with people that I really like. Are you like that, Shane? Like, mm-hmm. it, like I get I'm, yeah. I'm better if I don't care as much about the person. But if I care about the person, of course, then I'm like, oh, I'm getting a little uptight. But I felt 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 pretty good about my performance with Will because obviously he's such a big fan. So we go meet up at the the halftime show and the big thing about the Super Bowl is getting in and getting out is always a nightmare. Like it just takes forever to do both of those things. And I go to Will, Will, how are you, how are you getting out of here? And he goes, I don't know. My wife might pick me up on the side of the highway. I don't know how I'm getting out. Like, I kind of love the idea that he didn't have like car service or anything like that, even though he had amazing seats. So, um, Our friend John Abamondi, and this is going to sound sort of name-droppy, he is the CEO of the Brooklyn Nets, and we know him through some other friends, and we've hung out together. Very, very nice, smart, interesting guy. He had texted me saying, Hey, if you need a lift out of the Super Bowl, I have a driver. We can give you a lift wherever. So I tell Will, I'm like, Hey, Will, do you want to take a lift with us? He's like, I'd love that. Thank you so much. So basically, we end up in a car with Abamondi, the nut our friend brent and forte and his writing partner dave and we end up going to a bar uh in culver city and i hate to tell you this shane but the nut was the funniest and most charming person i have ever been around for three straight (laughs) hours he was making forte and his writing buddy dave and their wives who joined us like howl with laughter like they're all like i don't want to leave like my cheeks are hurting so much who is this guy he's the funniest guy i have ever met like people were dying for virtual he had this bit with the server where he demanded his next drink be served out of a different sort of like uh glassware every single time so it went from like glass to coffee mug to bucket <laughs> like he literally just got a bucket of ice that was just a vodka soda like and, and every time did the, they the guy do did, it and the ser- yeah, the server was super into it. And so he's like, that's great. So he had to like, the server would take like a long time because he's like, well, I had to clean this thing out. I found it like in the black back closet. What do you think of this? <laughs> anyway, Bert, yeah, the nut was just exceptional. And he did the opposite thing that I was worried about, which is like, you know, getting uptight and, you know, because I was worried about being charming. But the nut kind of took over and it, was, and it was awesome. Do you believe that?
0: Yeah, of course. Bertil's always like that. I think that's his best quality is when he's had a few drinks, he can be really funny.
3: Yeah, so... um Anyway, but to answer your question, we have not shown the pilot to Forte yet, but it will happen. But I, well, you know, I just want to play it cool a little bit, you know. How long is how long is cool? What do you th- What do you guys think? I mean, he's on vacation this week, so I don't want to bug him.
2: Oh, I like to watch cool shit on vacation.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you tend to have a lot of time to just watch things on vacation.
2: Yeah, it's kind of what you do on vacation.
3: Okay, okay, I'll think about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when you mention the show, what is his reaction to it? Is it like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and just move it along? Or? Well, actually, well, the best part about it was that uh, Unsworth uh,
3: is, is a part of the show, and Unzi was hanging out with us, and Unzi is so charming and sweet and not a bragging kind of guy. So the fact that I could be the guy bragging about the show, even though I don't really have anything to do with it, you know, I, I always preface the show with like, these are my funniest, most talented friends. And uh, you obviously know Unzi and we have this little sketch show and uh, we might have another executive producer on board, which whose name we won't mention yet, but uh, who is a big deal. And uh, I think that all bodes well for serving it up, you know.
2: OK. Very exciting times. Yeah. Um. I'd like to actually take this moment, since we're talking industry stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, and slightly pivot because one of the things I wanted to talk about on this episode is the sad passing of celebrated and wildly successful film director and producer Ivan Reitman. Um, He directed iconic films uh, like Ghostbusters, Stripes, Meatballs. Um, By all accounts, a lovely, lovely guy. And of course, our small connection to, to Ivan here with our podcast goes back to our very first live show uh, at the Rivoli in Toronto. Our featured guest was Catherine Reitman, uh, of course, the daughter of Ivan. And uh, Ivan and his wife, Genevieve, were actually front row at that show in that small club, uh, the Rivoli, to support Catherine uh, at that live podcast, which says so much about them as parents. Um, and yeah, in the news of Ivan's passing, it actually made me think a lot of my own dad because he was also at that show supporting his kid. Uh, and my dad is, of course, no longer with us uh, either. And actually at that show, my dad had a moment with Ivan outside the club where they spoke. And I know my dad got a real kick out of that. So, yeah, it just brought up a lot of memories. And I'm, I'm thinking a lot about sort of Catherine and that family. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, like, of course, on one hand, this is a headline about like a huge entertainment figure passing away. But it's also the loss of a father, a grandfather, a husband, um, yeah. And, and I guess after that show at the Rivoli, like Catherine, you know, she's become a friend of our pod and sort of one of the most gracious and cool people we ever had on. So yeah, I just wanted to sort of share condolences to Catherine and their entire family. Um, but yeah, what, what were your guys thoughts when you, uh, when you heard the news?
3: I, th- I thought of Catherine immediately, you know, um, th- as far as sort of Hollywood families go, they seem to be <laughs> one of the most like functional and loving families often you know sometimes you see people that have had massive success in entertainment and, it, and it's hard to sort of keep your family life together but it seemed like they're a very like loving and supportive family you know and i know you know her brother uh jason uh, probably had earlier success in Catherine, and then Catherine mm-hmm. has really you know become a star with working moms and but, it, but it's never seemed... It seemed like they're all rooting for each other all the time. And uh, I, I texted Catherine about it. And I know it's really hard for her right now. And it, some of the posts that she had were really, really sweet on her Instagram. She posted a great photo of... Uh, was it um, Ivan with Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and Bill <laughs> yeah, Murray or something like that? And and, yeah. and she's just like, this guy, Like look at the confidence of this guy. He's like this big old grin wearing a dumb outfit right next to these legends. Uh, yeah, so just kind of thinking about thinking about her because uh, we, we love Catherine and uh, you know, just you know He's how old is 76 or 77. he's not old. So
0: I think he was yes. 75. Yeah, 75 uh, Yeah, yeah, I was listening to Howard Stern talk about him the other day Yeah, it was making me think about, you know, he's obviously done so much and I listened to a podcast with him about eight years ago and I think we were trying to do, uh, Mike and I were trying to do like a sketch pilot at that time. And it was so motivating listening to him. And mm. he was so like inspiring and kind. And I was, I, I remember I sent it around to you, Mike, and someone else just that this was my favorite podcast guest ever. Wow. And, what uh, show was it? What, which part was it? I could probably find it if I had a second, but it was really, really affecting for me. And then when he came Mm -hmm. to our live show, obviously that infused a lot of energy to it and was shocking because, you know, Catherine was, you know, in her 30s at the time. And that's usually the time when you think your parents stop supporting everything you do, especially (laughs) Catherine was at a certain level where maybe being a featured guest on a podcast might not be considered a big deal. But Ivan went out of his way to go see that live. It's very cool. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Shane here with a quick editor's note. I wanted to make sure I got the correct podcast that I was referring to that featured the Ivan Reitman interview that inspired me. So I've since found it and re-listened to it. It's just as great as I remembered. It's from Kevin Pollock's chat show, episode 133, featuring, of course, Ivan Reitman. This first was published October 30th, 2011, but I heard it in 2014. And I was really inspired by the fact that Ivan talked about how he wasn't necessarily a good student. He couldn't get into the University of Toronto. So he applied to McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, which is where I'm from. And he got into their new music program, and he really only got in because they were just starting the program and they needed applicants. But he took that opportunity and decided to make the best of his university experience, He started directing plays and getting into film. And obviously from there, he ended up having an amazing film career. And in this interview, what struck me was how kind and modest and inspiring the interview was. For some reason, I always used to mix up Ivan Reitman and John Landis. So I guess because of Animal House, they were both involved in that film. But I went on to check out an interview with John Landis on Kevin Pollock's chat show after this, and they're so different. John Landis comes across to me as a little bit arrogant or full of himself, whereas Ivan is anything but, and it made me really proud to be Canadian and from Hamilton. Also, I wanted to add that At the live show, I had a planned joke when we were interviewing Catherine where I asked her, how do you make it if you didn't grow up with Ghostbuster money? And it was supposed to get a little bit of a laugh. But the fact that Ivan was there made that joke have so much weight and feel so risque to say or something. It totally brought the house down and everyone looked at Ivan and was wondering how he was going to react. And of course... Him being so kind, he reacted great to it and laughed harder than anyone in the room. And it just made this awesome moment for me and something I'll never forget. But anyway, thanks, Ivan, for everything. And let's get back to the show.
2: It was, I remember there was like, you know, obviously like that was the first season I think of working moms had either finished or they were halfway through, but, um, working moms at that point hadn't become sort of what it has become. You know, obviously it's become this massive hit many seasons later, but when Catherine agreed to do it, we're like, Oh, this is going to be exciting. And she seems super cool. And it was almost like, Oh, I wonder if like her dad, you know, like, could you imagine? And then I remember the day of like, sort of, they come in, they're kind of like early and it's like, Holy shit! There's Ivan Reitman. Like they're here, they're coming, and they get a nice spot up front. And you know, Catherine was super cool, but it was it was very, I don't know, just like it was a real honor that like he was there in the front row to sort of watch our very first live show. And uh, and yeah, they were just very sweet, both him and her mother. Um, yeah, they were great. Like I'll never forget it.
3: Yeah, just reading his Wikipedia right now. So his, his uh, mom survived Auschwitz concentration camp. And uh, they arrived in Canada. So, yeah, he, uh, he was born in Czechoslovakia. But yeah, he went to Oakwood Collegiate, which is a rival high school of my high school, Harvard, Harvard Collegiate. And then he went to McMaster. So, similar to me, sort of like this Toronto downtown kid who ended up in Hamilton. And, and that's where he met a bunch of his comedy collaborators, right? Uh, at McMaster? Would that have been with like Eugene Levy and. Martin Short, Martin Eugene Short? Levy. Yeah, There's like wow. a whole crew. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I just. Those stories of people coming up together and people who turned into stars but knew each other since they're 1920 is, is always fascinating to me I think the fact that it happened right in Hamilton
2: is, they're the best so cool. stories in, in my opinion stars. it's sort of what well like I think it's one of the things that I've always been drawn to like our group and having sort of multiple people that are doing a bunch of exciting things and everybody supporting each other and wanting to lift everybody up do you know what I mean like sort of with positive mm-hmm. energy and High tide rises all boats. Like whenever you hear stories like about a crew like Ivan and those guys, or any other um, sort of uh, uh, of people in entertainment that have been successful doing it, I love those stories. Those are the best. I mean, ultimately, I feel like that's sort of what we're always trying to to grow with with our gang.
3: Oh yeah, we're getting there. We're, we're getting there. When when uh, when the sketch show turns into like an international success, the people mm-hmm. are gonna be talking about us like that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Is there a way for us to re-release our, uh, the live episode or, or at least the recap? Absolutely. Yeah. Or the yeah. Recap. We could
2: do, yeah, that. do that. Yeah. We could definitely do that. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, rest in peace. Ivan Reitman thoughts with Catherine, cause it is never easy to lose a parent. Um, it's the worst thing to go through. Fellas, this is the part where we get to our topics. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what did people bring in? Who wants to start? Does anyone got anything popping that they, they feel is super pressing and they just want to go first, a keener at the front of the class?
0: I already talked a lot about the Super Bowl, so you guys stuck.
2: Mm. Shane, you got anything you're loving? You want me to go you first? You go
0: for it. I'm just looking up one thing really quick.
2: Well, I, I actually had a, a kind of a couple, and, and they're kind of related too. You know, Ivan Reitman got me thinking about my dad, obviously, who passed away. Uh, and then I saw another story with Chet Hanks, who is, uh, Tom Hanks, son. And he, he basically <laughs> yeah. did a YouTube video where he said he never had a strong male role model in his life, which I just kept thinking, if I'm Tom Hanks and I open up the newspaper and read this, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? uh, but, um, I guess my first question would be, I was thinking about Ivan and I was thinking about Catherine and the relationship between, you know, a father and a child. I started thinking about my dad and I was wondering what is the best single piece of advice your father has ever given you? Ooh. Because like, I feel like my, my dad, he's had a lot of, he said a lot of things over the years, but only a few <laughs> of them stick out. Some of them not good. You know, some of them were terrible advice, but I remember uh, when I was, when we were young, very young, my brother and I, I remember my dad giving us this like impassioned speech. Um, it was like, it was late at night. I remember sort of like we were in the kitchen of my old townhouse and I just, I can picture us sitting there and him giving us this sort of this really sort of like, um, moving, um, speech about the bond, uh, between my like brothers and how we need to look out for each other. And really it was a speech about family and the bond of family and how people are going to come and go throughout your life. Um, but you need to always look after each other. You need to sort of hold on to, to the bond that sort of family has just because like, you know, years and years into the future, that is like one of the things that will stay tethered. You know what I mean? If you, if you care for it and you, you sort of nurture it and you, and you, you, you build it and you protect it and you hold it dear. And he was sort of giving us this big, long speech. And, you know, Greg, and I think I was like 12. and Greg was like nine (laughs) or something, but that stuck with me. And I sort of, I sort of like took it to heart. Like, I'm like, I need to look after my little brother. I need to sort of, yeah, like protect whatever this is and you know dec- you know a couple decades later or whatever where you know it, it it held and it was one of those things that um he just imparted and it stuck with me and you know it was really sticky and i valued it and i i i you know i followed it and yeah so that was kind of the one that stands out from from, from him sort of to, to 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 protect and nurture the bond that you can have with family or you know he was speaking of me and my brother and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I hope that gave you guys enough time to uh, think of, of the advice from your, your, your fathers.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'd say for me, I I, thought, I think about this a lot actually, because I, <laughs> I'm the kind of person who feels the need to, to dole out advo- advice a lot. Like I'm that kind of annoying guy who am like listening. And like, I'm constantly like pulling my nephew and nieces aside and trying to impart wisdom and values and all these things. And then I think about my dad and he's not like that at all. And I think I'm similar to my dad in a lot of ways, but he is just a very doting, loving, sweet, gentle kind of guy and really leads by example. And so like, you know, sort of this idea, like, he, you know, he, he's a firm parent, but like sort of just an unconditional kind of love and affection. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, pour water on the plant and let, let it see it grow. So I guess my answer is that, Like he never really did. It was always, my dad's always just sort of like led by example. And even the way he's lived his life, you know, he he was a social worker by trade, but started, he started his own business. Um, and he's worked out of the house, um, in the house right now, actually, because he, he, dude's in Mexico. <laughs> my mom's here. My, my dad's in Mexico. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he has a conference down there right now that he's... Um, okay, so my dad has planned this conference for mental health professionals in Mexico. And it's been difficult because COVID and all that stuff. But um, he's down there. But he has sort of um, artfully put together a life for himself where he just kind of does enjoyable things all the time, like as part of his work. And so I think I've seen him in the way he's operated because he kind of invented this job out of nowhere. He was a social worker, and then he's like, "I'm gonna put, I'm gonna be like a concert promoter, but for mental health professionals because I know that world. I find it really interesting. There's all these speakers that are like really onto like cutting edge, new, new kinds of ways of of dealing with patients and and you know in mental health situations. And I'm gonna throw these events. I'm gonna put on these conferences. And he just kind of invented that. And so. I think he's led by example. I'm like, oh, that seems like a fun way to live a life. Like where you're kind of working all the time, but it doesn't really feel like work because you're just doing what you want. So I think that'd be my first, my first answer. Um, the second answer, so it's just le- le- the way he's led by example is, is really like the non-answer. The second thing is my mom said she went to um, a dinner party uh, maybe 35 years ago. And she told me when I was maybe like 12, Never bring up Israel or Palestine at a dinner party. And that's been the other piece of advice. <laughs> she's, <laughs> just like, she, she's like, if there's, Max, if I can tell you one thing, if you're ever out with people, just don't bring it up. Israel, Palestine, there's no way, there's no, there's no winning here. So just don't bring it up. <laughs> I was like, okay. That was a good piece of advice. <laughs> um, hey, Shane, what about you?
0: I'm trying to think. There, it's kind of like you, Max, where my dad. He leads by example more than anything. My dad's also, he's not overly emotional. He's not a big, like, I love you guy or hug type person. I don't think I've ever spoken to him on the phone. So it's... <laughs> Come on, really? I don't think I ever have. Like, I ever had a phone call with my dad. It's just that type <laughs> of thing. Like, maybe he said, I'm in the driveway once when he, he had to call. call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, always, I'm very good with time, though, too. my dad that, That's something a part of my dad, like, be on time. I'm a, I'm a little anal about not, not being late. Um, hard work. My dad, like, really, he's competitively, like, even if it matters not at all, if you do a really good job, like, if you're not going to get any more money, my my dad just likes being the best at his job, and he's always been that way. And just, mm. like, endless work hours. I I've kind of inherited that, where I'm always kind of working and making up little games in my mind to be competitive with it. And I think I don't know if that's like observing and following or it's just this genetic thing running through mm. my bloodline. But that's, yeah, that's all I could say, I think.
3: Yeah, it's a good question. It's mm. like, yeah, is is, is my nature, because I'd say my nature is similar to my dad. It sounds like you're saying the same thing, Shane. Is that, mm-hmm. yeah, do you think, I wonder, is that a genetic thing or is that an ob- observational thing? Because I feel like people have different speeds. And I don't yeah. think... I think,
0: let's say you were adopted,
3: Shane. You'd probably have, I feel like you'd have the same kind of disposition, I think.
0: Yeah. Because I do, although it seems like my dad's kind of emotionless, I feel like he's deeply emotional. But it's just, you got to like get there. And I feel like I'm kind of like that too. If you didn't know me, you might think I'm not very expressive. But if you know me, you know I am. It's that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Do you guys think, you know, there's like that old phrase that like everybody sort of becomes their parents eventually. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, like in my experience, most people that I know have become, they are very similar to their parents. They exhibit a lot of the same traits, but they're like an evolved version of their parents. It's rare that somebody becomes a, actually, you know what, maybe that's thats not the proper, I was going to say, it's rare that somebody becomes a worse version of their parent, but I'm sure yeah. that that happens all the time. And maybe, you know, I've just been fortunate with the friend group and stuff like that, that, you know, you're not, um, I'm not around too many people that, that lean that way. But I feel like a lot of people that I know anecdotally, It's like they sort of like they saw the parts of their parents that they didn't want to embody. And there's Mm -hmm. some they can't help but do. And then they sort of try to like they become their own thing. But you still are like, oh, my God, you're very much like your mother or your father. And you just see it as being a part of you. Is there any do you guys know anyone that just is nothing like their parents or is Mm. everybody just another version of their parents?
3: I think sometimes it's like disguised in different ways, especially um, with like, you know, with new technology and and especially if parents are like first generation Canadians, because like Mike D in our band on a certain level doesn't really seem much like his, his parents at first glance, because like, you know, he's a product of the Internet and, you know, he's. Um, he's born and raised in Canada whereas his dad, you know, came to Canada from Italy and English is a second language. And so, so on the surface it feels like they wouldn't really have as much in common but when you get mm-hmm. underneath it, there's probably way more in common than you think when it comes to their temperament and, you know, their passion for things or, yeah. you know, just, just any idiosyncratic personality traits that is actually probably more in common than you realize. Even though they came up in completely different times in completely different countries with different languages. Absolutely. Yeah, what do you got, Shaney?
0: okay pete davidson's back on instagram <laughs> to defend himself is uh, let's hear the story i didn't know he was back i didn't really have much of a topic beyond just simply bringing that up and see where it <laughs> takes me and i know uh um, max hates this game like i don't i don't know why but you just hate this game the mary fuck kill game but i wanted to play I, do, it with, I, do i hate that game i just I feel know. like you would i feel like you'd go eh, this, you know let's not do this no you know
3: who, you know who loves this game is is nick uh, Nick Nick I loves this game but maybe I like it because it's more uh, it's easier to do it in private you know publicly you don't want to say you want to kill somebody but but okay. this isn't with people cool. okay, though. okay
0: go ahead yeah this isn't Mary Fuck it's Mary Fuck Kill with social media oh it's Twitter good, it's good. Instagram TikTok
3: mm. oh this is great
0: yeah and I, I get this idea because one of our uh, script or sketch writers Adamo had this great sketch about the man who invented Mary Fuck Kill yeah, <laughs> I thought it was can so tell funny. What it is? Tell me what You'll is. You'll have to
2: see it in the show once we get season uh, okay. one up. But yeah, it is. There's it, it a lot is, to
0: it in this sketch. Yeah,
2: it, it <laughs> killed at table read uh, last week. Um, it's great. I already know my answer. You got? I bet you. you go you ahead, go both, ahead. Go you ahead. You can Mike. both guess my answer. You both know uh, me.
3: Okay, I think you would marry Twitter. Mm-hmm. You would instagram and and then tiktok would be
2: gone from i mean tiktok's not a part of my life so it it wouldn't be a hard kill Mm -hmm. like i i the only time i've ever like i go on tiktok is if you guys send a link that opens up the app you know what i mean like in a text or something so Mm -hmm. and and i feel like that's an antiquated thing to say because everything is going toward tiktok our good friend virtual is you know part of the tiktok empire you guys are both Mm -hmm. very prominent on, on tiktok so i almost feel like a silly old guy saying I would
3: kill TikTok. Okay, I think I got my answer. I'd say I would marry Instagram. Mm. Yeah. I would fuck TikTok. Ooh. And I would kill Twitter. Yes. And this and this isn't uh, because... There's parts of Twitter that I absolutely love. But I'd say when you look at like the discourse on Twitter... It is full of the most annoying fucking people. And by the way, there's some people on Twitter that I love, that I follow, that bring me a lot of joy when it comes to like basketball Twitter. There's nothing better than basketball Twitter and gossip and trades and all that stuff. But for the most part, it's it's like the know-it-all, brainy, like educated people that are just completely condescending because they're good with words and love to hear themselves like talk and speak and lord that over everybody else and are, and I think, a, a part of, like, the political discourse that happens uh, in America but ultimately is alienating to most people who they're trying to convince, so it's actually counterproductive. Um, that really drives me crazy when it comes to Twitter. So I, I almost want them to, like, write your think pieces, hand in your essays, but, like, you know, you're just kind of causing problems by these 140-character tweets. Um, I'd say Instagram is... Good sort of like you can kind of get a lot of stuff. There's some explainers in there. It's, it's it's not as like intense as TikTok. It's more like, okay, I could hang out with you and we could have like a pretty chill time. And I have my the people that I follow. I can curate that and it feels good and true to who I am. And that's like a secure relationship. TikTok is a like wild night out. TikTok is like, you know, you're scrolling through that thing. It's, it's like you just did a shot. You know, it's just like you're in a nightclub with a bunch of crazy lights. There's all these things that are like coming at you, yelling at you, looking at you seductively, telling you stuff really fast. And that reminds me more of a of a wild night out. And that's why TikTok would be in the fuck department. What do you think, Shane?
0: Yeah, that was an amazing description of all those things, and I totally agree with your take on Twitter. That was, is exactly it. And the thing that annoys me about it, and just yeah, I would. I would, if I was to be on Twitter, would be in the way Mike's on, and not to actively participate or to be tweeting, mm-hmm. but just to be looking <laughs> at everything going on. Because I do think it can be a good news source for sports, and maybe being a voyeur of other people, I don't know, ar- arguing or being snide or however they are on tic- or Twitter. So yeah, definitely kill Twitter. As far as Instagram or TikTok, both are pretty fuckable, I think. But Instagram's been around longer. It's more like the thing for older people. It's comfortable. I know it's rhythms more. I feel like I'm already kind of in a, a married relationship with it. And it's not that groundbreaking. Like if TikTok does something, like it'll try to copy what TikTok does, but it'll be a step behind. And so TikTok's the new exciting thing to me. And, like you said, it's sexy. you never know what's going to pop up. I don't necessarily know how to like follow people on TikTok or what even following someone on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, means. what does it mean? It just seems like the videos pop up when they pop off, and only the best stuff <laughs> pops in my face, and that stuff I want to fuck. Well, it's
3: the highs are so high on TikTok. like yes. if you do if you get a TikTok that goes viral, it's oh, like, yes, I'm it's orgasmic. Of the world. it is. And you're like, I am the fucking shit. I am so great. And but then also, you know, if 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 you if you plan a TikTok and it goes and it goes nowhere, it's like you walking home from the bar by yourself in the rain. You're like, I'm yes, a loser. I'm so fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes me. You know, it's like oh, I hate this life. Why do I even bother trying? You know what I mean? It's yes. it's like that that part of like you know single life, uh, where you're just like just depressed because you think there's like no hope for you. Like, but TikTok gives you both, and then sometimes you're like you go out and you're like stuff happens and it's so exciting. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's not
0: a marriage. That's not a marriage. No, (laughs) I like that actually. Yeah. I'm glad you embraced it. I thought for sure this was going to be where you kick me while I'm down. No, 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 no. But back to Pete Davidson
2: (laughs) while Mm -hmm. I'm down. Is this, are you talking about the Will Forte thing and he hasn't shown him the sketch show yet?
0: No, just that my Pete Davidson topic seemingly went nowhere. And then it was a non sequitur to Mary fuck, kill. Just, you know, it was
2: perfect. It it got us into social media is what it did.
3: Do you think Pete Davidson is actually <laughs> afraid of Kanye? Like, do you think he's, like, actually distressed by it? Or do you think yeah. this is just marketing for Kanye's record? Like, where, where do you
0: think things are at when it comes to their true feelings? I'd be worried about Kanye's legion of fans coming after me.
2: There's also this other element, like, of, like... I kept thinking, as so for our listeners, I'm sure you saw that Kanye on Super Bowl Sunday sort of, through a bunch of Instagram posts, attacked Pete Davidson, who is dating his ex-wife or I don't know if they're ex or separated or what, but Kim Kardashian. Um, I'm sure you all know that if you're listening to this podcast, what was, as I was watching it, I'm going like, if I'm Pete, like just knowing my like, let's say I started dating somebody and they had an ex who was acting like that. I'm just out. Like I'm out. Like I, I am, I'm like, I'm going to avoid that. And I'm going to say, listen, I'm sorry. This has been like awesome. And you're, you're cool. But I, this is too much for me. I can't, I can't engage with this. Like, if Pete really is, like, loves Kim or he's into Kim, like, there's, like, the the human element of whatever their connection is, like, it's got to be so good that he's even willing to stick around. Or maybe at this point he can't back down because... I don't know, like, what do you guys think he's thinking when he's seeing all this stuff from Kanye? Isn't he like, do you think he likes it? Is it all just for, like, a laugh, like it's a show? It's like Kanye's promoting a record. Pete and Kim sort of get lifted up because they're kind of, you know, they're getting bullied a bit, so you kind of have sympathy for them. Like, what? what is the, where's Pete coming from? Because when I think about it just on a human level, I'm like, I would just get out of that thing right now.
3: I think he's addicted to the drama. The guy mm. only dates people that are, like, celebrity tabloid fodder. And I think he just leans right into it. I think he, he can't stop doing it. So I think he, I think even though he, if he, he's quote-unquote stressed or something, I think he actually kind of
0: enjoys it. That's my take. I think maybe the people he gets in a relationship with are addicted to the drama. Because hmm. Pete's not really going towards it. He's trying to just say, oh, yeah, you know, Kanye, you're the man. Like, let's let's be cool about it. And he's not really throwing any gas on it, is he? I think he's throwing gas on the situation by choosing to date Kim Kardashian.
2: Okay, here's my question, though. Max, you're, actually, you're a famous person, Max. Let's say that you had ran into Kim Kardashian. She's single. Pete's not in the, the picture. Specifically, it's Kim Kardashian. You meet her at the Super Bowl. You guys hit it off. You're the virtual. You're being charming. It's great. You go on a couple <laughs> dates. It Starts to hit the tabloids. And Kanye does that to you. He puts you on blast. Are you like, I'm getting out of this thing? Or are you like, no, love is love and I can take the heat? And- no,
3: I, I, w- I wouldn't go near that to begin with. I'd be like, stand away. Couldn't do it. So, yeah.
0: But Pete, Pete goes to it every time. You wouldn't go on a date with Kim Kardashian? No, no, I wouldn't. And Shaney, I'd go on a date with Kim. Yeah, I'd have to be single. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'd go on a date. Would you go on a date with Kim? Yeah, of course I would. If I was <laughs> single. I'm I'm more into Courtney though. <laughs> like she's more what I like.
3: All right, guys, my computer's at three percent, so I'm gonna wrap okay. this up with one more topic. Okay. okay? All right, hit us. Uh, I've been saving this one, uh, and this is just for Shane. Okay, hmm. it's not for Mike, but Mike, you can uh, chime in if you want. Thanks, Shane. Is the expression "no holds bar" or "no holds are barred"? That's that's question number one.
0: It's neither. <laughs> it's no holds is barred.
3: Correct. You got it. Okay, that, that was a trick question, and you nailed it. Uh, I thought it was "no holds bar," like B A R. Why? I don't know. I just thought it was. That's what the expression was. It was an old timey English thing, which I didn't understand. But you know, how, like Shakespeare says stuff, and you're like, "Oh, it actually means this completely other thing." Even though that's not what the words are. Okay, next one.
0: You thought you could fool me. Okay, continue. Yeah. Uh,
3: is it uh, intense and purposes? Intense of purpose. It's was like for all of purposes. What is it? Is it intensive? Intensive purposes or intense? and
0: purposes intense with a with a t hard t intense in like so in like so spell that out i n t
2: e n t s like your intentions not your intensity
3: yeah for all it's uh yeah it's intense and purposes
0: yes correct
3: all right shane you're smarter than me i got both them wrong
0: what did (laughs) you think it was no
3: I thought it was intensive purposes. Intensive. Like you're in
0: the intensive care unit. Mm, I used to think that. There was a time. I think that, Oh, the, the one that always used to get me was um what's the one about foul uh one one foul swoop, I, I thought it was. That expression. Foul swoop. Yeah, but it's like, oh, it all happens in one foul swoop, because I'm like, bird comes in and just kinda grabs oh. your Your sandwich and takes off is like that was one foul swoop, but it's like a bird that's
3: a foul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: bird's foul. (laughs) Did you know that one, Max? No, I no, I definitely okay. What what is the actual thing? One fell one. One fell swoop. It all happened in one fell swoop. It's yeah, it's fell, not foul.
3: I would have thought it's foul too. I get them wrong every single time. Go ahead, Mike. What's what's your one?
0: Mine was um, doggy dog.
2: It's a dog eat dog world. I, yeah. when I was younger, I used to say, it's a doggy dog world. Like, so doggy <laughs> so dog. Doggy too. Dog world. me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a doggy dog world. And one of my, my buddy, Lee goes, what'd you just say? I go, it's a doggy dog world. Am I right? It's like, it's a, that's, it's a dog eat dog world. And I was like, what? And I looked like an idiot. But
0: He probably thought doggy once too. If you can recognize it and you slow it down, it's because you too once thought that way.
2: Yeah. So if so.
0: you say it fast enough. You know, you can just get it by people. But what does that even mean, doggy dog? Like we're, like we're all dogs in this world just trying to get a bone. <laughs> that's the way I took we it. We are. We are.
2: Um, all right. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Leave a comment, uh, leave a rating, all that business. We really appreciate it. And thank you guys for the best hand.
1: How up?